This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. There are many definitive truths involved in cancer research, care, and treatment. After testing, we might know that specific drugs work or don't work in certain instances. We may even know what the predicted outcome might be when comparing one surgical approach to another. But doctors do not have the luxury of working in absolutes. Absolutes may offer more peace than unknowns, but there are not many absolutes in cancer. Instead, there is a stream of endless unknowns creating a chaotic and unpredictable environment for the feelings of anyone faced with a challenge like cancer. David Richmond's experience has shown that cancer usually crashes into one's life with a sort of primitive, metal-to-flesh force, and people don't often jump right into unpacking the vast array of emotions the experience evokes for them. Sometimes, they never do. Since David first recognized the common thread binding people touched by cancer, the tendency not to examine, discuss, or even acknowledge the emotional side of their experience, his goal has been to shine a light on the things we've all kept buried, in the hopes that people might better understand what they and their loved ones went through. Valeria Telles interviews David Richman, the author of Cycle of Lives, 15 People's Stories, 5,000 Miles, and a Journey Through the Emotional Chaos of Cancer. David is an author, public speaker, philanthropist, an endurance athlete whose mission is to form more meaningful human connections through storytelling. In his first book, Winning in the Middle of the Pack, he discussed how to get more out of ourselves than ever imagined. With Cycle of Lives, David shares the interconnected stories of people overcoming trauma and delves deeply into their emotional journeys with cancer. He continues to do Ironman triathlons and a wide range of endurance athletic events, having recently completed a solo 4,700-mile bike ride. He is married, lives in southern Nevada, and has twins who are in college. Meet David at david-richman.com. Here's the interview with David Richman. In your own words, who is David Richman? Ah, I am uh, an author. Uh, I'm an endurance athlete. I'm a father, a husband, a cook, uh, and a very optimistic person. Talk to me for a moment about what is to be optimistic. What does it look like? You know, I never really was able to, Valeria, put my um, thought around exactly what the definition was until a few years ago, and then it hit me. And I think that um, an optimist is somebody who believes that their best moments and their best days are ahead of them rather than behind them. And um, so I 
live each day thinking optimistically that the best thing is yet to happen to me and that uh, good things are still coming. So I guess when I stop believing that, I won't be an optimist anymore. How did you come to this understanding, David? Um, I think it was by uh, trying to push myself to accomplish more, um, not for other people, but for myself to like find out what I was made of. So I didn't grow up like an athlete or anything. Um, and I grew up just kind of working hard, trying to put food to mouth. But when I, when I was able to, um, like get into things that allowed me to prove that I could accomplish my own goals, then I said, hmm, let me see what else, what else, what else. And then that's what I keep looking forward to. I love this idea of experiencing life from that space of adventure as a traveler, because that's what it seems, this seems to be. We are here just temporarily as travelers just passing by. But we don't often reflect on, on this. We just kind of live day to day, kind of distracted by so many things, so many ideas that are not even real. We kind of forget to push aside this reflection on, on life and death. What would you do if you were diagnosed with cancer and you knew you had just a few weeks or a month to die? I do ask this question to pretty much all my guests at the end. What would you do? In your case, I'll ask you now. What would you do if you knew you would have, let's say, not a time, but you didn't have much to live or too many days ahead? What would you do? Would you change anything or do anything differently? Yeah, it's, and it's such a great question. And, you know, until you're faced with that reality, you don't really know what you would do, but you think what you know what you would do. For me, <laughs> I, excuse me, I, I think I know what I would do is is I'd be, I'd force myself to let go of the unimportant things. I, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have great relationship with my wife and with my kids and in life and with friends. And I do a lot of things that I like. So I, but I still have things that I do that are not important that I waste time on, or that I choose to waste time or that I get frustrated on, or that I feel like I have to do. And those things aren't important. So I would probably immediately let go of the things that aren't important and just um, spend as much time telling the people I love how much I love them and why. And um, uh, maybe doing some meditation and contemplation about uh, what I've done to the world and what the world's given to me. What is the meaning of death to you, David, these days? Uh, you know, I've heard a lot of people say words like moved on, transitioned, um, you know, that type of thing. And I, I, I haven't spent a tremendous amount of time contemplating what death would mean, but I think through my work and through the wonderful conversations I've had with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people about death and about the thought of death, I think that previously, Valerie, I thought death was an ending. And and now I don't I, I don't think that it is. I, I I don't know if I know how it's not an ending or what, what it might be the beginning or continuation of. But I, I feel like uh, what, I, what I believe now is that I think I know what it's not. And I think it's not an ending. I want to ask you another question. Do you have any spiritual practices, David? I, I really don't. Um, I, I'm not against it. Um, my wife is very uh, spiritual. My son is a philosopher 
three major, just uh, finished his master's degree in philosophy and has a leaning towards um, religious philosophy. And so I'm surrounded by it a bit, but I, I think I'm more like a mother earth spirituality, you know? <laughs> like, <Yeah>. like, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I worship the sun and the ground mm. and the, and the air and, mm. and, uh, uh, having a healthy mind and being mm. good to people. I'm, I'm a little, it's, it's not mm. quite or, organized thoughts about <laughs> spirituality, but right. more like a presence of being, you know, what do you think is the purpose of the human experience? You know, I think the purpose of the human experience is that we've been given this opportunity or whatever you want to call it, uh, of consciousness. And I think that it is to when we can and we can't always have control, but when we can have control um, or take control is to do the best that we can for ourselves and for others and for the, you know, the, the things and the people around us. So. Um, that, that's kind of my thought is that, um, is that I'm always trying to do better, uh, for the people and the things and the, you know, the opportunities that come along that, that I've been given. And, um, yeah, that, that to me is, is, is pretty much everything. Do you practice self-love? Do you believe in the practice of unconditional self-love or have you heard about it? <laughs> I have heard about it and I, and I do, I, I think in my case, um, maybe with a lot of people, it is a process rather than a point where you say, okay, I'm going to stop doing one thing or start doing another thing. I think it's a process and it becomes, um, a matter of forgiveness, acceptance. I mean, there's a lot of steps to it, but I, I definitely do. And, um, I'm, I'm definitely, as I, as I go through life and as I experience more and as I stay grounded and heart centered and connected to the things and people around me, then I, I find that, uh, that self-love increases for sure. And what is your idea or understanding of balance? <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny because that's like the number one topic that, that is in my brain at all times, balance. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it, you know, the yin and yang balance, whatever you want to call it, positive, negative energy. Um, you, you have to have both. You, you can't, you can't enjoy the good unless you recognize the bad. You, you can't, you can't get through the bad unless you recognize the good. I mean, there's, so to me, balance is, this is everything in life. It's, it's, um, it's, it almost is what drives me every minute is, is some, something related to balance. I like the word harmony better. I know we use balance a lot, but harmony, it resonates with me more because of the idea of nature that's connected to nature. So it's everything coming together unconditionally without any judgment, just doing what it does, life being life. 2020 has been a very interesting time. Talk to me for a moment about your thoughts. How did your life change from the events in 2020? Um, <clears throat> it's not that much of an original thought, maybe, but I really believe that um, that the the earth, the world, people, we don't have very many opportunities to take a collective breath, take a take a moment to just stop 
And when we take a breath or when we take a moment and, and we're forced to, and in this case, you know, I don't know since World War II that we've had, <clears throat> you know, the opportunity to take a collective breath. Um, I think that we come through stronger, that we can transform. And so I've used uh, 2020 as an opportunity to take a deep breath and realize that sometimes you got to be cocooned and um, and maybe you can come out, you know, more like a butterfly when you went in like a caterpillar. So um, I, I think that as horrible as experiences many people have had, um, that at least the positive side, the optimistic side of me says we could use 2020 as a way to take a deep breath, take a take a break, and maybe transform and come out better the other the other side. Grief. How do you describe the experience of grief? Oh man, you you always ask such good questions. I listen to your shows and I go, man, she asks good questions. Um, grief. I think um, it, it's different for everybody. So, uh, some people grief rolls off their back. Uh, like a like a water off a duck's back. Some some people uh, get mired in their grief like it's mud, and they can never move on from it. I, I think uh, for me, uh, grief is a process of understanding that that people come and go, that uh, good times come and go, bad times come and go. Right? Grief is just one facet. It's not it's not everything. It's not the end. It's not um, a place we're supposed to stay in. It's just a process. And for uh, everybody, it's different. Um, for me, grief is one thing. And for you, it's a, diff it's a different thing. And so I think um, to understand that grief is a process and not a place is the most important thing. Mm, not a destination, right. What do you love most about being in a human body? And what has been the greatest challenge for you? Uh, what I love <laughs> is the ability to continue to see what you're capable of doing. I think that that is, I mean, that's fantastic, right? That, that you know, m at my age, I'm in my late 50s, I'm still doing things like riding my bike across the country and doing Ironmans and, um, you know, being healthy. And uh, I mean, so for me, that's what I love about it. Um, The second part you said is what's difficult about it? Yeah, challenging. What has been the greatest challenge in being a human body for you? Uh, I'm not really sure if there has been any challenges. I think my, my maybe I could say that I started, I came to that realization later that, um, that I should try to push myself to find out what I'm capable of. So I yeah. think the biggest challenge is forgiving myself for not doing <laughs> yeah. this earlier, right? Yeah. That's the biggest challenge. I, other than that, I don't find any challenges in the human body. I think it's all opportunity. That's being an optimistic, <laughs> that, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. beautiful. <clears throat> My last warm-up question is, what is freedom to you? What is to be free from your perspective? What would that be? Uh, you know, actually, freedom is is uh, is is almost impossible to have absolute freedom on my definition. But um, freedom is that you have the ability to make a choice uh, on what you're going to do, because I've always believed that the choice to do something is the choice to not do a thousand other things. And so when we get to choose the one thing that we're going to do at this moment, Um, we're choosing that one thing is the most important thing. And I think freedom 
is the ability to have that choice. And we don't always have it, but the more times that we could have that choice, then we're free to choose what we what we want to do at that moment, because we're never going to get that moment back. So you wrote the book, Cycle of Lives, 15 people's stories, 5,000 miles, and a journey through the emotional chaos of cancer. What was the inspiration and the intention of writing this book? Well, the inspiration was from uh, my sister when she passed away from brain cancer. I wanted to keep her memory alive and um, stay close to um, her in the way that I could. I would do like an endurance event every year in her honor um, and raise money for the cancer center that took care of her and whatever. That was the inspiration. What I was trying to accomplish is, is I found when I was doing this, Valeria, that um, that people were good about talking about the tasks of cancer. Uh, I get my next PET scan. What what hospital should I go to? What doctor should I see? How do I navigate work? Those kind of things. But what we're not equipped to do was to have the hard discussions about the emotional side of cancer. And, you know, a, a perfect example is people don't want to burden you. They don't want to make you feel guilty. They don't want to feel bad. They don't want your sympathy. There's a lot of reasons they don't talk about it. And sometimes when somebody tells us something bad, we go, oh, I'm sorry, and then walk away because we don't want to make them feel bad. We don't want to make them feel guilty. We don't know what to say. We don't want to sound like an idiot. And so the emotional side of it is uh, is something that every single person I spoke to said that was a the number one major issue about the cancer experience, no matter what perspective, right? Caregiver, uh, loved one, survivor, uh, even doctors. The number one most thing every single one of them said was, I, I had difficulty um, navigating the emotional side of it. And so um, that's that's what the purpose is, is to bring these stories to people so that they can learn perhaps how to better understand what people have gone through or are going through. And, and that would allow us to start these hard conversations to get closer to and better understand the people that are around us and that we care about. Before I ask you more questions about your book and emotions, I'll, I'll be asking you questions about your own emotions, the, the ones that you describe in the book. You are a trainer, consultant, and transformational expert. Talk to me about your services. How do we find you in workshops and online? Sure. Offline? So I do um, a number of different things. And fortunately, I get to um, you know have the opportunity to work with a lot of different kinds of people and organizations. But I do yeah. some, some talks uh, publicly and privately um, to small and large organizations talking about um, transformation, uh, how to get the most out of ourselves for ourselves rather than, um, you know, to, to make other people happy. I, I talk about, uh, the emotional, uh, transformation that we can have on connecting to other people. I do, um, some one-on-one -on -one coaching. So basically the best, you know, uh, what I do and, 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 you know, how I can help people and, and serve people is, um, is you can find that from my website. It's, it's cycleoflives.org. Uh, it's a nonprofit. So I'm fortunate enough to be able to do most of this with no profit intended, which is, uh, which is. Yeah, I know that you created the book, everything that you do actually now connected to cancer has to do with raising 
awareness and also funds um, for cancer research and care. Thank you for that too, David. When it comes to emotional intelligence, emotional resilience, what's the difference between one person and the other? Have you found this, the, the aspects, what differs one person from another when it comes to strength emotionally? I, I don't know if I know the difference of what makes them um, uh, one way or another, but I do know that most, not everybody, but almost everybody has the same thing in common. And that is that they, that they want others to understand and to participate in the emotional side of it, but they don't know how, and we don't know how to communicate with them. That's the one common thing. And so, um, uh, I, I, when I wrote the book, I had people that had uh, all kinds of emotional reaction to cancer. If you can imagine, Valeria, I even had somebody who smiled when they were given a diagnosis that they were being wheeled into emergency brain surgery to remove a tumor. She smiled and said, thank God, it, thank God it's a tumor and not me. She thought she was going crazy. And so, um, so I think that the, 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 the important thing to recognize about the trauma of cancer, especially of cancer, is that people just don't know how to start to begin to talk about the emotional side of it. And that's the common thing. So we have to figure out a way to be brave enough to navigate that with people, um, which, which puts us out on a limb and ask them to be put out on a limb about something that's very, very difficult to, to experience. From your experience, David, how did you deal with that, with your emotions? How did you communicate them? Um, I didn't. So I was kind of like everybody right. else, right? Yeah. I just, ah, whatever, yeah. I'm fine. Or I, somebody would ask me a question and I'd give them an answer that would make them not answer me, ask me a second question because I didn't want to deal with the emotional side of it. So because I thought maybe people didn't care or I thought maybe it wasn't important enough or I was embarrassed that I felt this, whatever the reason at the time was, it was the same thing. And until I felt comfortable that if people are going to ask, even if they ask the wrong question, they're showing that they care. And I think that's all we really want is a safe place to know that people care. And then we can start to figure out how to answer the questions. And so I learned how to um talk about the emotional side of it and how I was affected by uh, losing my sister and all the other things that came with it. Um, only because then I felt safe that I could talk to people who were actually interested in finding out more. Do you think that trust plays a huge role when it comes to expressing emotions? Trust in the... I do. I mean, I think it's number one thing because mm -hmm. trust and safety, right? right? Safety. We, we think... We're all yeah, just in yeah. some some way or another. We're all just little kids, and and uh, maybe we're grown up little kids, but we're still just little kids. And I think little kids, uh, the only thing they want to do is to be safe, and the only way they they're safe is if they trust that everything's going to be okay, even at, at difficult times. If it's going to be okay, to, if you have that trust and safety, so I think that's the that's the cornerstone of it. And if if, if somebody asks you a question out of genuine um, uh, tr uh, love and trust and interest and, and curiosity and, and wants to make you feel trust and safety, then I think that's the great place to start giving the answers. 
In your book, you mentioned that the strongest positive emotion during the cancer experience you had was gratitude. Why gratitude? Uh, you know, I have met so many, even if I only meet them on a short conversation like you and I have had, but I've met uh, literally thousands of people along this journey. And when I was on my bike ride, I would meet multiple people every day um, who would tell me the same thing, like, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I lost this person or this person just got diagnosed or cancer runs in my family or blah, blah, blah. And then they always went to the next thing was, oh, is your book's going to help people with the emotional side? Oh, my God, that's the one thing I struggle with. And da, da, da. so I'm very grateful to have found that is a very common thread with everybody who's been affected by cancer, no matter the, the perspective, right? Even doctors. Um, and, and so I'm grateful to know, have known that so that I could maybe make some kind of an impact on changing that a little bit. The negative emotion, the strongest negative emotion you mentioned in the book was mm. sorrow. Talk to me for a moment about that. Yeah, so uh, when you do have to uh, face the fact that you're going to lose somebody or that you did lose somebody or that your good friend uh, lost their spouse. Recently, a, a friend of mine uh, uh, let me know that his, his wife uh, died very suddenly from cancer. And uh, two young kids getting ready to go off to college and, and the whole thing. And they were married for, you know, almost 30 years and just the happiest people ever. And it's sorrowful. I mean, it's just, it's just a, such a, such a painful thing to watch people go through and to know that a piece of them has been ripped away. So for, for me, uh, the sorrow was, uh, losing my sister. And then also, uh, uh, really losing the only person that knew me as a kid, right? So, um, so it is a hard thing. And so for me, it was sorrow because uh, you cannot hide from the fact that it's it's so it's so difficult to lose people. Is that possible to prepare to go through this kind of experience of losing someone? What do you think, David? Um, I, I will tell you that if there is a if there is a positive in receiving, and, and I don't know this from myself, I only know this from talking to people, but if there is a positive in receiving a diagnosis of, of terminal cancer, if there is a positive in that, the one positive is that it, it can give you the opportunity to spend more quality time with a loved one and to tell them uh, um, why and how much you love them and what effect they've had on you and prepare them. There are a couple of stories in my book about people who went through that process. And uh, one in particular, I'll be very short about it, Valeria, but one in particular, um, it was a, it was a gentleman who was very tough to love and didn't love anybody. And he finally broke through and she broke through to him and he met somebody who was the love of his life. And shortly after they met, um, she developed cancer. They got married quickly. She died very soon and um, very tragic. And near the end of her life, uh, when they had to navigate the fact that she was going to die together, uh, she said to him, I'm only angry about dying because now you're at your best and some other woman is going to get to enjoy that for, for the rest of your life. And it's not going to be me. And I did all this work to make you so good. Yes. 
And uh, he eventually and very quickly did mm-hmm. find somebody else who was now the love of his life again. And, and he wouldn't mm-hmm. he, he wouldn't have it any other way, although he, he would have rather have have have, have <laughs> Brandy had lived and that he'd be married to her and happy and whatever. But that didn't happen. And so the, the positive, the only positive you can take from that is that they were able to reconcile all these things. They were able to prepare each other for the loss. And, and if, if cancer does anything on a terminal terminal case, it does give you the opportunity to maybe um, get, get through that together um, as, as opposed to say uh, somebody dying in a car accident or something like that, you know? I have heard that uh, quote, this is from somebody who's, it's unknown, said, grief is the price of love. Do you relate to that? Somehow? I do. And hopefully we're, we all will be fortunate enough to have as little grief for all the love we get as possible. But I, it, ha- it has to be. That's the balance. That's the, that's the harmony, right? You, 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 you can't walk on a tightrope unless you're willing to fall. <laughs> you know? do, do you know what I'm saying? And so sometimes you're going to fall, but that's the price of walking the tightrope. And uh, you can... You can guarantee no grief if you don't love anybody, but what's the what's the good in that? There's a passage in your book where you say absolutes may offer more peace than unknowns, but there are not many absolutes in cancer. Instead, there is a stream of endless unknowns creating a chaotic and unpredictable environment for the feelings of anyone faced with a challenge like cancer. I love this passage because, especially in the beginning, when you say absolutes may offer more peace than unknowns, but they are not many absolutes in life, really, right? Not just cancer, but in life. That's the truth, right? I mean, do do you know what's going to happen in 20 minutes? Absolutely. Are you you for sure what's going to happen tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) Of course not. Not even the next second. So I know no, if I set a no. timer, as long as the battery works, it's absolutely <laughs> going to go off, right? Okay, there's a few things I know, but there's not much more that I know other than setting a timer or eventually at a red light, it's going to mm. turn green. Okay, maybe, but I mean, big things, there's, there isn't any absolutes. And so um, what you said very early on is everything is a, is a journey. I think that, um, that, that you have to, if you can, if you can, Accept the fact that each each moment, each day is going to be an unknown. Um, then, if you are fortunate enough to f- be heart centered, grounded, uh, maybe uh, maybe fortunate enough to be surrounded by a loved one or many loved ones, then you can navigate it together. Yes, I love that, David. Yeah, what a beautiful message, important message. Yeah, to me, this is the unknown. Talking to you now, life itself, being a human body is the unknown. This is the unknown already. And everything we claim to know is just that desire, <laughs> the dreamland that, you know, of, of desires, of wishes, of, it seems like we have choices, but I think we just become aware of them. Uh, the options we have, but I don't know how much of this we can. Right, right. So. it's so funny because I I say like <laughs> I know a lot of stuff, right? I know a lot of stuff, right? But I, every day, every day, I always go, "Oh my god, I don't know anything. Yeah. I don't know a thing," right? Because I don't yes. know a thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
So we're almost at the end. I didn't ask a question. I have some questions here I didn't ask. I'd like to ask now. How did you choose these 15 people? And what is your favorite story? Uh, well, choosing the 15 people was, was easy because I wanted a range of age, a range of type of cancer. I wanted a range of the severity of cancer. And I wanted uh, to have different emotions. Uh, lastly, I wanted it to not just be people that had cancer. I wanted it to be doctors, uh, ex executives at a medical company, survivors, uh, loved ones, and uh, people that had cancer too, right? So uh, picking the people was, I wanted a very interesting story. So I'll, I'll be super quick about this, Valeria. So I figured point A is when they encounter cancer. No matter when, as a kid or as an adult, as a professional, point A is when they counter cancer. Point B is today. How did they navigate the emotional journey from A to B in relation to everything that happened before A? So I wanted people that had very interesting stories and had uh, trauma and emotion that we could all relate to. And then when it came to they got cancer, point A, how did those traumas affect their emotional uh, um, intelligence, their, their ability to, to navigate the emotional side of the journey of cancer. And so that's how I picked the 15 right. people. My, uh, my favorite story, oh my God, they're all so good. I think, um, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't have a favorite. Uh, they're all so good. They, they all touch me. Uh, there's a couple that every time I read it, even if I've read it a thousand times, they still make me cry. So I guess those would be amongst my favorite. And I think um, I think there's something about um, um, a Joshua story that makes it my favorite. And this is a guy who um, who just would not let anybody in, would not let anybody take care of him. And um, through his cancer, he's very young when he got cancer, just a, just a early 20s. No chance to survive, but he survived. Um, his girlfriend um, abandoned him in the in the waiting room for surgery. Said, "I can't handle this. This is not my life. You're on your own." And he uh, he he managed to get through it. And he now helps uh, people. He works for the cancer center that took care of him in Florida, and uh, does uh, outreach to the Latino community to talk about don't be so macho, get some help and check stuff out but his story has a special twist that is so so heart-wrenching that um it makes me understand when people sometimes don't want to accept your help or they don't want to ask for help maybe there's more and and for him i was able to uncover the more was that he very uh, tragically when he was six years old um happened to witness his mother killing herself And I couldn't imagine in a million years what that must be like. Uh, but but tiny little thing I could imagine is why that um, gives him the thought that he doesn't want to ask for help. He doesn't want to give himself uh, to uh, let anybody in. And he finally has figured out how to do those things against that horrible trauma and against being abandoned. We don't being willed into surgery and against being told you're going to die and still live. So I think the story is one of strength and hope and optimism and resiliency. And it just, uh, 
it makes me shudder to think how much this guy has overcome. And he's such a happy, wonderful, optimistic, a neat guy uh, that it just to me shows that uh, I don't have a bad. I never did. Not compared to anybody else, you know. That uh, makes me think about this situation of not asking for help when we need help. And, and it seems like it happens more to men than women. We are more community oriented and we talk a lot. The men I see with my own husband, they, you people don't do really well with that, asking for help, being vulnerable. We can find their strength. That inspires others to do the same. I'll ask my husband to read that. Yeah, let me sure. tell you a super quick story. So my wife gives me a hard time all the time. She's like, every time that we have a bunch of people over, you got to run the kitchen. You you have to do everything. And you never let anybody help. And I go, but I'm in control. I got 20 people here. I'm barbecuing everything. I'm pouring drinks. Like, I got it. I got it. I got it. She goes, yeah, but you don't understand. You're our you are taking away other people's joy. They want to help you. It's not like you need the help. Give them what they want. They want to help you. And I'm like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Maybe I am ruining their experience by trying to be in control. Maybe I should let them help because that's what they really want to do. So I started to learn that 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 asking for help and letting people help you is actually uh, something positive you can do for them. It's not just a negative for you, right? I had to, I had to, I had to learn that. Oh, I love that lesson. It's a gift, yes. right? To let others well, in, knew? of course, and help us. <laughs> who knew? Uh, yeah. Oh, boy, I wish my husband was here. Okay, he will listen to this, too. <laughs> he needs to hear that. So, David, uh, I have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Oh, my gosh. I'm in the back of the house. I don't even have the book in front of me. You read a beautiful passage, so I'm not going to. But... Um, um, but I would just add that I think that the book is inspiring. It's very easy to read. It's a long book, but it's very easy to read because it's a bunch of individual stories. And then the other thing that you can imagine as a reader is that each one of the 15 people or their survivor uh, picked a cancer-focused charity for their profits to go to. So uh, each story has inspired um um, a bunch of people to help raise money and attention to these great organizations that are helping people deal with cancer. So that's the one thing they could remember. Thank you so much again for everything. Your wisdom, the inspiration that you have become to so many, uh, the way you express that wisdom, it's beautiful too. I absolutely love your wisdom. It's very natural. Thank you, David. So two more questions for you. How do you define success these days? Uh, well, I, I think success is, um, is, is uh, waking up happy, uh, going to bed happy, and being happy as many times in between as possible. And uh, you know what? It's not always, it's not always um, the happiness doesn't always, or contentment doesn't always come from positive, right? You could be happy because you solved a, a very difficult problem or something, but but. I'd say that that is it. Waking up saying, hey, I get to put my feet on the ground today and going to bed saying, I can't wait to wake up tomorrow. And then in between being as content or happy or feeling good about what you did that day as possible. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? I know <laughs> sure it is one um, that no matter how dark it is, 
right? Uh, you know, I have a friend who says even even the darkest cave can be illuminated by one candle, right? So, you know, and, and even the dirtiest pond can can grow a lily, right? So I say that no matter how bad things are, one thing is I know for sure is that uh, tomorrow's another day, right? Uh, or five minutes from now is another minute. So if you keep moving forward, you could get a better place. So just keep moving forward. So that's one thing I know. Um, second thing I know for sure is that uh, we don't get the moments back, right? So when you can, uh, do the best you can do for yourself and for others uh, because you don't get a chance to do that uh, that same minute ever again. Um, and the third thing I would tell you that I know for sure, this took a long time to learn and probably through the process of this book I learned is that people do care. You might not always believe it. You might not always have them around you. You might not always know how to let them in, but um, if you give a chance, even just one person out there does care about you. And so um, it's on you, it's on me, it's on us to allow people to care. And so they want to and they do. Mm -hmm. And so I think those are the three biggest things I know about life. Ah, I love that message yeah, of letting others in, right? Thank you again, David. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, services, projects? Sure, thank you. Uh, just look up David Richmond. It's uh, R-I-C-H-M-A-N, davidrichmond.com or cycleoflives.org because it's a nonprofit um, and then you could just or just look up the book Cycle of Lives and that'll take you wherever you need beautiful thank you again and we'll talk soon bye for now David bye bye thank you for listening to learn more about David Richmond and his work please visit david-richmond.com to learn more about this podcast please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast Thank you again for listening and bye for now.